The Truth News Network. On every continent, in every capital, at colleges, universities, wherever solid thinking stands against the tides of insanity, there is one voice, a beacon, a light in the murkiness of political swill. From TNN, the Truth News Network, comes that voice, Dan Newman. We're here for you. It's a Friday. It's the 19th of August, and everybody's going back to school. Mom and Dad's. You're crazy in love with the fact that your kids are going back to school. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. We have so many things to discuss with you today. We have a bunch of them, and we're going to get into all of that uh, at the top of the show, and I'll remind you several times during the show today, Congressman Mike Johnson will be with us at 9 o'clock sharp Central Time on Monday morning, 9 o'clock sharp. And uh, my conversation about the content we want to discuss with him. So far, here's what I have. We want to talk about the raid at Mar-a-Lago. We want to talk about the flood of illegal immigration and drugs at the southern border. We want to talk about his relationship in Congress with Liz Cheney, who is an outgoing Congresswoman from Wyoming. She got trounced in her primary by 37 points. And she is in leadership in the House of Representatives and has been for a while. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about what's happening in the DOJ, the FBI. So I got a lot of questions to ask him to get answers. And if you have one that you'd like to share, feel free to email it to me at dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Let me just say this, if our sound is a little bit funny today, um, I don't know if you heard, but Apple, all devices that are Apple, iPhones, iPads, iMacs, MacBook Pros, if you don't do the security update that is on there and ready to update on your device, you're setting yourself up for some very surreptitious people out there not to just get some of the stuff off your uh, device, but to take 100% control of it. And if they do that, there's a possibility it's going to always be that way. You would have to wipe, take it to a Apple store and wipe the whole thing and restart. That is going on today. So we did our updates overnight and uh, in reloading everything on our iMac, which is the super computer of the show, TNN Live, It took a while for some of the elements to load, and some of them we had to stop their loading to get this show on today. So I'm hearing, when I speak, I'm hearing a slight delay. Obviously, you're not hearing that, but please bear with me because I'm a little bit hesitant when we start talking because I'm hearing myself immediately afterwards. So what's going on the latest thing about the surveillance footage uh, down in Mar-a-Lago, that raid, there is footage, and the Trump folks, Donald Trump, is contemplating releasing the surveillance footage of the entire FBI raid. They have it. CNN said that Trump allies and people close to Trump who encouraged the president to release the footage. Now, speculation about what he's going to do, 
it's still up in the air. The former president confirmed on social media the FBI demanded all of the security cameras be turned off during the raid, but they didn't stay off. So what is that all about, he asked. Who said no? The former president's son, Eric Trump, told Fox News host Sean Hannity on Monday of this week they would release the footage. And, of course, Hannity said, well, Eric, when are you going to do that? And the answer was, at the right time. So what do you think um, the federal judge down there is going to do about releasing the contents of the affidavit that was used to get the warrant from that judge in Florida to actually make that raid. His name is Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt. And uh, yesterday, he heard the pros and cons from both sides of the argument about releasing the affidavit. Now, it's very unusual to release the contents of an affidavit even before there's an indictment made. But in this case, common sense says, we got to check that out. So, what the judge did yesterday, he let it be known that he wants to release contents, parts of the affidavit. And he gave both sides a week, exactly a week, to come back and talk about what needs to be redacted from that affidavit. Now, of course, the DOJ, they want the whole thing, <laughs> the whole thing to be uh, redacted, not be able to be presented to the American people. That makes me wonder why they say, of course, that it's because it would it would it would hurt an ongoing investigation if the public knows about it. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of the government telling us that. Every time we ask realistic questions, I mean, think about these companies and these entities that are constantly fry, uh, filing FOIA requests. Now, what's FOIA? Freedom of Information Act. Congress passed it. You can go through the legal process and file a FOIA request and request based on that act the release of certain documentation, information, even investigative uh, elements, if and when they're available, to get them legally so that we, the people, can even know what our employees are doing for us or against us. And that's who they are. They are employed by you and me. But they act like all the time, I mean 24-7, like they have unfettered universal power over every part of government and every part of your life. I'm not kidding. There are people up there that think you're not even worthy to determine what food you're going to feed your kids. That you don't have the ability to even understand government, so why should they answer to you? And I'm not just saying that. Evidence shows very clearly that's the way they feel. Now, we had a little information slip out from the DOJ Apparently, the Department of Justice told that Judge Magistrate Reinhardt yesterday that he wants the affidavit sealed totally. And the explanation they gave the judge is they're afraid he's going to destroy documents. 
This came as Reinhardt indicated he's prepared to release parts of the affidavit and giving the DOJ one week. Jonathan Turley, you see him a lot on Fox News. He's a very credible constitutional lawyer. Here's what he said. Fox's Mark Meredith just reported that the release material on the warrant referred to the need for a seal was to prevent material from being stolen. Turley continued, I would have expected the emphasis to be on the ongoing investigation and common protection. The threat of destruction raises whether the affidavit included allegations of destruction or the threat of destruction of any of any of this evidence that was taken at Mar-a-Lago. And then Turley said this, notably, the search occurred after the media ran accounts denied by Trump that the former president routinely destroyed documents and flushed them down the toilet. Now, let me just point something out to you here. When you have a one-party government, what happens is exactly what you're seeing happen every day. Number one, they illustrate with disdain how they feel about voters. They don't care. Oh, they say they care. And how do they show they care? They pass these massive spending legislative pieces, get them signed into law, and then saddle us, we the people, with the debt that we had no say-so in. And this latest infrastructure reduction bill is a prime example. If everything in that bill that was passed and signed this week, if everything in it ends up doing what they promised the American people it would do, if it all worked out, First of all, best case scenario for us, we won't feel any reduction from the contents of that bill for two years. That's in the bill. There's no immediate relief included in that bill. Why? Because it does include massive spending, which has already begun. When Joe Biden signed the bill into law, bam, here we go. Let's start spending the money. You can't stop inflation. You can't reduce inflation by spending. It's a fiscal impossibility. And yet this government, this president, oh my gosh, it's like it rains money. I guess it does to them. And it's a blank check that he signs and he signs our name on the nation's check. And we're the ones really not us, because most of us that's listening today won't be around for decades to come. Our kids and grandkids will, and our great-grandkids as well. They're the ones that are going to be saddled to repay this debt in this bill, this spending bill. $3 trillion, more than $3 trillion in just 19 months by this president. Think about that. We can't even comprehend three trillion of anything. I can't. Maybe you can, but I can't. So let me ask you this. What do you think the DOJ was all about with that uh, storming of Mar-a-Lago? Leaked yesterday, the report says that the FBI was seeking documents President Trump believed would exonerate him from the Russia collusion claims and even some other election-related charges 
when agents raided Mar-a-Lago. The FBI collected all of the documents that were government property, they said, and used concerns about classified documents to justify the raid. But agents were looking for Trump's personal stash containing documents related to Russia collusion accusations against him, fearing that he would weaponize them. Now, this little tidbit's coming from very credible news media, Newsweek. (laughs) So, automatically, my antenna goes up, ding, 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 Newsweek in the tank. Is it true? Probably not. We have to do this every day, you and I. When you hear from mainstream media, what the heck is the truth of the matter? One former Trump official said he may have planned to use the documents to help in a presidential run. Coming up, Trump was particularly interested in matters related to the Russia hoax and the wrongdoing of the deep state, this official told Newsweek adding that he may have intended to use the documents in a 2024 presidential campaign. I think he felt, and I agree, that these are facts that the American people need to know. Well, Newsweek wasn't finished. They went on a little bit longer. This is a quote from the article. The sought-after documents deal with a variety of intelligence matters of interest to the former president. The officials suggest, including material that Trump apparently thought would exonerate him of any claims of Russia collusion in 2016 or in any other election-related charges. The very first reports of the Mar-a-Lago raid focused on a trove of classified documents Trump was reportedly storing at his Florida residence, including 42 boxes of classified documents that had been accidentally shipped there during his move from the White House. A report from the Washington Post also claimed the search was related to nuclear information in classified documents Trump possessed. They collected everything that rightfully belonged to the U.S. government, but the true target was these documents that Trump had been collecting since early in his administration. Of course, the DOJ won't respond to any of this. This story, the way it's rolled out, the news sources that put it all together, I got to be honest with you. It appears to be the cookie-cutter expose that happens almost daily, if not daily, in our media news reports, mainstream media. It's as if this is coordinated that they're coordinating together. They're speaking to each other. Why don't you print this? Why don't you broadcast this? And you know why it seems to be that way? That's the way it's being done. Media collusion. And they're they're not even really effectively trying to hide what they're doing or how they're doing it. Every morning, New York, Washington, Chicago, Miami, Dallas, Fort Worth, Los Angeles, San Francisco, media outlets in those markets specifically and others, they have a clearinghouse. And I can't think of a better way to say it. 
it's a phone number. It's a conference call phone number. And mainstream media have to be invited by others in this group to be able to participate in that group. This is factual. It's been proven. And the way it was proven, somebody years ago got mad, got kicked out of their job, and they went public and even published the number that was being used. So they had to change the number. The reason all of this seems to be coordinated is because it is. If you haven't heard me explain, I'll just give you the real simple explanation. They get on the phone and they start comparing notes for things, issues. They're going to talk about, they're going to print, they're going to broadcast that day and even into the next day. They would be doing it today for the entire weekend unless something big happens during the weekend and then they have to reconvene. But they don't just talk about, hey, here's what we're going to cover and then everybody says, great to talk to you, see you later. That's not the way it works. You have heard again and again and again news sources that say, experts say, or anonymous sources say, with the agreement of non-disclosure, the source says. That's the first step in the collusion of media stories that is done. And here's why they do it that way. There probably weren't anonymous sources. There probably weren't expert, expert sources. But then what happens, the next media outlet, they want to report the same story that makes Donald Trump look bad, that makes Republicans look bad. And so what they say, multiple sources say, they take it up one notch. And then the third report from the third media outlet says, multiple sources have confirmed there is nothing there factually to report. The first one is a lie. The second, the third, and the fourth, they add the little things on the end of it to make it be a credible story they're reporting on. And the American people, we're just stuck. We don't have much... um, much opportunity to get anything out of it on our behalf because there's no way to get to the sources in most cases. Now, you heard what we said, some of the documents that they were looking for down there, nuclear documents. I can't imagine what that could be. So let me tell you what slipped out overnight. The Department of Justice's counterintelligence chief, counterintelligence chief. You know what counterintelligence is? It involves our relationship and intelligence, finding, gathering, believing with foreign entities. DOJ, counterintelligence chief, said that the federal government's investigation into allegedly classified materials found at former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago in its early stages. In other words, there's another Russia collusion type investigation that is in its early stages against Donald Trump. Who is it that's saying that? Well, DOJ, Chief of the Counterintelligence and Export Control Section, 
Jay Bratt. Now remember that name, Jay Bratt. He said it's in the early stages. DOJ lawyer said in court yesterday its release would damage the integrity of its investigation, and that's that affidavit. The government is very concerned about safety of the witnesses in these cases and may put a chill on other witnesses coming forward, Bratt argued, with and no elaboration. In seeking to block the release of this affidavit and other documents, he said that the FBI's investigation has national security overtones, which in turn outweighs public interest. Here's the point of this whole thing, and nothing else matters. The FBI is convincing a judge to do something or not to do something regarding Donald Trump, and the explanation they're giving the judge is this whole investigation into this guy and the release of anything has national security overtones. But here's the kicker. This is what they always say in print. And it outweighs public interest, the national security overtones. That is identical to every step of the Mueller investigation and the Russia collusion investigation. It's a cookie-cutter copy of it. Elaborating on the investigation, Bratt said this, in this case, the court has found probable cause that there's a violation of one of the obstruction statutes and that evidence of obstruction would be found at Mar-a-Lago. Bratt didn't elaborate on what the DOJ is investigating. Of course, Republicans and some other analysts say that the Bureau's targeting of a president's home, a former president's home, is unprecedented. Never happened before in American history. Trump himself told news outlets earlier in the week that the raid puts the U.S. in a very dangerous position. He said, there is tremendous anger, like I've never seen before, over all the scams. And this new one, years of scams and witch hunts. And now this. If there's anything we can do to help, I and my people would certainly be willing to do that. And Trump was talking to Fox News. Feds took more than two dozen boxes of stuff out of Mar-a-Lago, including 11 sets of allegedly classified and top-secret documents. Now, let me just weigh in here in an opinion way. And I know it surprises you that I would have an opinion about anything. Donald Trump has done nothing wrong. And I'm just putting it in a very concise sentence. He's done nothing wrong. Why do you say that, Dan? What gives you the, uh, the ability to say that factually? To be honest with you, my saying that has nothing to do with Donald Trump or anything he's done. It has to do with the fact that DOJ comes back after him And if you haven't read the front page story of today's truthnewsnet.org website, you need to read it. And I'm not going to go into it here. I'm going to give you a little information that will make you want to go read it as soon as possible. Guess who the people are from top to bottom 
that are responsible for this investigation. Everything to do with Mar-a-Lago, the raid, the documents they're looking for, any other evidence they're looking for. Guess who Merrick Garland, Attorney General, put on the case? Guess who Christopher Wray, FBI Director, put on the case? Top to bottom. It's the same players that did the Russia collusion investigation. The name Jay Brad, I told you, you remember? He was the leader of that investigation. And he's the leader of this one. Does that sound a little bit fishy to you? Do you think we're going to get an impartial, impartial look, an impartial investigation of what really may be there? There may be some there there regarding Donald Trump and things that he did or he didn't do. There may be some there. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a soothsayer. But just looking behind me, and looking behind you, if Donald Trump or any previous president was guilty of what is being alleged, they wouldn't be out there saying, come on, come on, let's let's look at all of it. Let's put everything out on the table for the people to see. And that's what Trump has done. Who is working to keep evidence hidden? The Department of Justice the FBI, and Merrick Garland has the kahunos to go public and jump all over Americans for, quote-unquote, attacking the FBI. This is the same organization, folks, that cost us about $50 million in a fake investigation, and that was just one of them. And they want us to just trust them? I can tell you this. You can bet your bippy this investigation is staged, it's manipulated, it's timed strictly for election political purposes. They don't have any way to keep control of the government doing it the legal constitutional way. They've got to put their fingers on the scale and tip it in their direction because among the American people, including in ever, ever increasing numbers and percentages, Hispanics, even African Americans, their eyes are being opened and they're seeing there's something wrong here. These people are trying to do something that is not good for them. I guarantee you that's what's going on. And we're going to begin to see more and more and more that's going to look just like the Russia collusion investigation looked like. Two and a half years we were put through with that. How much time before the 2024 election? Hmm. Two years and a few months, almost the same time. They got plenty of time to put attack number six or number seven against Donald Trump, put it together, implement it, and roll it out and do everything they can to keep him out of the White House. He was a thorn in their flesh when they were pushing out this top-down totalitarian government that they want. They look at the European model and they love it. They love it. 
we love socialism, but we want a little bit more. We want to have a little more power at the top than even those governments have. They think that's the answer. The irony is, that's the exact thing our forefathers fled Europe to get away from. And this group of hardcore leftists that are every day seizing more and more control of every part of your life, that's what they want here. History means nothing to them. They are so arrogant, so haughty, and so self-consumed, they know more than anybody else knows about everything. And if you don't think that, just ask them. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. Gatorade works with no artificial colors or sweeteners. Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? And what about this? Yes! Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst! That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? Wee! Wee, wee, wee! 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 Max. Wee, wee, wee! Maxwell. Yeah? You're home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Fake news, spin, anger, violence. How do you sort through the chaos? You tune in to TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. During the break, I, I looked at some of the texts that you guys have sent. For those of you that joined us late this morning, why they're sending me texts and emails is because Congressman Mike Johnson is going to be with us first thing Monday morning, top of the first hours, 9 a.m. Central, and I think we may have him for 30 minutes or so, which is unusual. We're catching him at the front of his week to do so, so that, um, you know, we can have a little more time with him. Some of the topics I know we're going to discuss with him is the raid of Mar-a-Lago. We're going to talk about illegal immigration. Um... Other things that we're going to talk about, this stupid, crazy inflation bill that they have now made law, and you and I are stuck living under it. And um, 
let's see what else we need to talk about. Well, gosh, there's so many things. We're going to talk to him about Liz Cheney. And the reason we're going to talk to him is because they work together. She was a leader in the House of Representatives. And Mike Johnson is, and he was with her, try to get a fix on her and try to come up with the reasoning for her vitriol and disdain, I guess is being kind to say that her feelings for Donald Trump are disdain. I mean, she hates the man. She hates the man. And it shouldn't surprise us because she, in that regard, is the mirror image of her father, Dick Cheney, who was a tyrant. And when I say he was a tyrant, not so much going around beating up on people, but talking people into doing things against people in other nations, specifically Bush 43. He was very involved in Bush 41's invasion of Iraq that began with Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. But those two are tied together. We'll have more about that later on. We talked about Merrick Garland, Attorney General, and uh, the stuff that he's been saying. He's going crazy on Americans because they have questions about the FBI and the Department of Justice. And the message from the AG, sit down and shut up. All right, welcome back to the show. Senator Mike Lee of Utah, member of the Judiciary Committee, author of the book Saving Nine. Senator Lee, thank you, sir. We appreciate it very much. So with respect to the decision or the partial decision uh, by the uh, Florida judge today, it seems to me, and I don't know anything about law, but it just seemed to me it was some kind of victory for transparency and that the Justice Department did not get its way. That's exactly right, Larry. In this moment, we're in uncharted territory because normally you don't have a search warrant released uh, prior to indictment. And you certainly don't have the warrant together with the supporting affidavit released. But then again, we left ordinary a long time ago because ordinarily you don't see a former president of the United States or a possible future president of the United States. And Donald Trump is both Mm. being subjected to this kind of raid. And so given that they've taken some unusual steps, it's appropriate that the U.S. magistrate judge uh, take some actions to make sure that we get as close to back to ordinary as possible. And so it makes sense to me that he's given them one week. They've got one week to propose what material needs to be redacted from the supporting affidavit. After that time, the judge will make his own decision and decide what will be released and what won't. Senator, you know, just a thought, again, from a non-legal person, but if the Justice Department and the FBI try to redact every bloody thing, which they probably will try to do, um, that's going to put a lot of pressure on this judge to do the right thing and open it up again, because you have media groups on the left and the right. Like, so it's the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal are both suing him, you know, for freedom of information. So I think Justice Department, I think Garland's just stepping in it. I think he's stepping in it in a big way. And I think he stepped in it in a big way last week, first, when he did this raid. Secondly, when a couple days later he went on national television and lectured Americans, in particular, lectured anyone who dared to criticize the Department of Justice, BI, for this particular action. He told us that it was nonsense for anyone to suggest that there could be any political motivation playing into this at all. Well, if you're going to do that, you've got to outline why it is that you're right. He didn't do that. Instead, it just came across as as lecturing, uh, and that was not helpful. I mean, I, one reason I'm dying to see this thing unredacted or whatever, I want to know what the probable cause was for broaching a criminal charge. 
I mean, is this a fishing expedition sure. for January 6th conspiracy, or is this really about archives? I don't believe it, archives. You know, tell me I'm wrong, but I'll right. give you the last word, Senator. Yeah, uh, look, Larry, this is exactly the sort of thing that we need to watch out for, because if if all they had was just some technical uh, some technical deviation from the norm with National Archives, I'm sorry, that that's not uh, something that justifies the extraordinary breach that we had in this instance. And so people will be watching very, very closely and mm. listening very, very carefully when this material is finally released, and I look forward to its release. All right, well, I'm going to call this a small victory today for transparency and the public. Anyway, Senator Mike Lee, thank you, sir. It's great to see you, as always. It's just a shame that we have to fight and struggle to get information that we can trust and get information from people who we trust. So let me just put it this way. Let me ask you a question. On things in your life, and I'm not talking about the things that we're discussing here necessarily, but things in your family, in your business, in your relationship with your kids. What source do you rely on to get real information with which you can make some of the choices that you have to for your families? Listen, we're facing some even bigger problems than we have to deal with from the last three or four years. The pandemic, we find out more every day, it wasn't just a pandemic, it was a plan-demic, a plan-demic. And there was so much corruption in everything that went along with it from the government, our government. Can you imagine the graft and corruption that went along with just the sale of those vaccines? I got to be honest with you, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, first of all, they got tens of millions of dollars for the vaccines that the federal government bought from them. Just think about that one part of it. How in the world did the price model for each of these vaccines, how was it developed? I can tell you, there were probably two conversations about it. Somebody in the Biden and then a little bit before that, the Trump administration and somebody at the top of these big pharma companies. And pricing in this regard, think it through. How do you come up with a price for a vaccine? Well, you don't have any competition out there. There's no precedent that you could go point to and here's what the vaccine cost the government in this particular case. It was all brand new. So I promise you, the American people overpaid for those vaccines, and especially based upon their lack of effectiveness that we're finding out every day is real. Every day, more news comes out that says, well, we the CDC, we the WHO, we told you this in the beginning, but what we told you was based on the scientific information that we have. And it was right back then. But these vaccines, they morph they morph. Our bodies react to the vaccines to try to fight them all. And when that happens, we get a new morph of a variant, a new variant, and we got to go back to the drawing table and come up with a different vaccine. 
one that's adjusted for this new one. I promise you, tens of billions of dollars, not millions, tens of billions of dollars were wasted with the U.S. government dealing with these big pharma companies. And I promise you, I don't have any evidence of it. I'm not looking for it. But just based on the facts of how this administration operates and how people in this administration operated in their histories in other spots in government, tons of that money was diverted to buy influence, to buy access, and to be able to get government contracts for these things. It's sad to even think that might be a possibility, but it's not a might be, folks. I guarantee you, it happened, and it's still happening. And there's nothing you and I can do about it right now. A poll was taken earlier this week by Rasmussen, and a majority of Americans, 53%, now see the FBI for what it really is. And here's what they say it is. Joe Biden's personal Gestapo. Rasmussen found that 44% of likely U.S. voters agree that the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago made them trust the FBI less compared to just 29% who say it made them trust the Bureau more. 23% say the Trump raid did not make much difference in their trust of the FBI. 50% of voters Just 50%, half, have a favorable impression of the FBI. And you break that down, 26% of those have a very favorable view of the Bureau. 46% now view the FBI unfavorably, including 29% who have a very unfavorable impression of the Bureau. Roger Stone, you remember him. He was an advisor to former President Trump. We had him on this show for an hour and 45 minutes. He's the first and the only guy in TNN Live history that used the F word on live broadcasting. Anyway, Roger said there's a group of politicized thugs at the top of the FBI who are using the FBI as Joe Biden's personal Gestapo. A majority, 53% of voters now agree with Stone's statement, up from 46% back in December. 34% who strongly agree, 36% disagree with the quote from Stone, and that includes 26% who strongly disagree. Only half the nation view the FBI favorably. Half. And honestly, that is stunningly low. I can't believe that. We've always just assumed the FBA, uh, FBI, they're straight, they're strong, they're honest, and they love doing their jobs, taking care of us, and keeping potential foes from attacking us. And here we are today, only half of the American population view the FBI favorably. In May of 2020, even after the FBI's corrupt role in the Hillary Clinton protection and launching that Russia collusion hoax against Trump, That number, favorable number of FBI was at 60%. But it's today's trust and Gestapo issues 
that are the FBI's real problem. And here's a message for the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, and for the FBI Director, Christopher Wray. If you want the American people to support and believe in what you do at the Department of Justice and at the FBI, start doing the job for the American people based on constitutional rights and requirements and get your big egos out of the way and just operate looking for the rule of law and that should be the only place you look to get the answers for the decisions that you have to make. Using our judicial system to punish political enemies, which is what Biden and embittered Attorney General Merrick Garland almost certainly did with the Trump raid. It's as ugly, corrupt, un-America, and norm-violating as it gets. Raiding the home of a former president just months before a national midterm election? Well, that's something a political party would only dare to do when they know they have billions and billions and billions of corporate media, uh, uh, media dollars on alert to protect them against the outrage. As far as the FBI, they are willing co-conspirators and eager Gestapo agents already today. No one with a set of principles would be a part of these outrages. An FBI that employed men and women that had integrity would lose people to mass resignations. To the surprise of no one, this Rasmussen poll also shows that Democrats love them some federal Gestapo agents. A full 63% of Democrats approve of the FBI. Yep, and only 30% of the defund the police Democrats viewed the Nazis in the FBI unfavorably. Some people see these findings as hypocrisy. But if you understand the left's goals, it's nothing close to hypocritical or even surprising. You see, nothing would make Democrats happier. Think about this. How do the Democrats operate? How do they think? What are they thinking about politically when they wake up every morning? Think about that. I guarantee you every bit of it, if it involves conservatism, if it involves the Constitution, if it involves Donald Trump especially, and the rule of law, eh, they don't like that, so they don't think about that. Nothing would make them happier, Democrats, than dissolving all local and state police departments and replacing them with this. Got to have cops. They'll tell you, we can't do that. We got to have a police force. They want to replace across the border, across the United States, replace local state police forces with a centralized federal police force that they control and that they corrupt. And believe me, don't think for a second they wouldn't. They do it right now every time they get a chance. Democrats would love to do policing what they've already done to education as well as environmental and fiscal policy. And what is that? Nationalize it into a one-size-fits-all utopian hellscape. 
for anybody who doesn't kneel before Black Lives Matter, trade beef for bugs, hand in their guns, accept gay porn in elementary schools. And they got to believe two plus two equals five. Why? Because Democrats in government say that's the way it should be. Our president is so busy. I mean, he works a lot. We hear all the time when he's gone to Delaware or gone to one of other, his other five mansions that he has or he goes overseas and they put the lid on his day. We're told over and over again, well, he works behind the scenes all the time. He's always working. Let me tell you what he's got on his calendar next month that just blows my mind. He's going to host a summit sometime in the middle of September that is focused totally on stamping out the effects of hate-fueled violence in the U.S. in furtherance of his campaign's pledge to unify the country. Now, you know where I'm going with this. He has very effectively done pretty much everything he needed to do to divide us, literally. I mean, we're taking sides. I see families that are having a family meeting, and it's almost like literally half of them get on one side of the room, the other half gets on the other side of the room, and they shout obscenities at each other, thanks to Uncle Joe. And now... He's going to unify the country and he's going to do it by having a summit focused on stamping out the effects of hate fuel violence. If you want to do that, Joe, let me tell you how to do it and do it easily. Resign. Resign the office that you hold right now. Because anything you're doing, everything you're doing, is causing more divisiveness, more division, more unnecessary angst in the country, and you've gone over the edge, Mr. President. There's nothing left for you to grasp that you could unify this nation. I mean, you literally tell conservatives that you hate them and that they're evil. You come up with names, ultra-maga fanatics, And you expect 70-plus million Americans to respect you and want to be part of your unification progress, which we know, if it ever happens, it's going to be tainted with partisanship, and it's going to be smile to conservatives' faces and then stab conservatives in the back, just like has always happened and is going on right now. Uncle Joe... It ain't going to work. You could save the taxpayers some time and money if you would just cancel this summit that you have coming up to stamp out domestic violence and anger and hatred and vitriol, which obviously fills your heart and your mind. Cancel that thing. It's not worth your time. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. 
It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. What can milk do? Well, it can turn you into a morning person. It can help fuel some pretty tough stuff. And it can definitely make cartoons funnier. No, it can't. Oh, well, it can have a little edge. But come on, even kitties love it. It'll keep up with you at any age. It makes engines whir. And creme brulee, cremey. It's one of the easiest labels you'll ever read. And anything that makes this happen is pretty special. In fact, what can't milk do? I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine. Leave behind a better world. Right here in New York City, with the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1800 plus cities. I'm a product of the 60s and the 70s. I really didn't come into the realization of a lot of things in my surroundings until about, I guess, 1970. And in the summer of 70, I turned 17 years old and I thought I was ancient. Oh my gosh. And I hated myself. Why? Because I missed an opportunity. I was in radio, doing part-time radio in South Louisiana while I was in high school. Had a shot to go to New York. What was going on in New York? This is not in 1970. It was in 69. The Summer of Love, Woodstock. And the Summer of Love piece of it wouldn't have been that big a deal for me. I love music. I really love music. I'm a musician, and uh, I'm an amateur. I've never done anything professionally. Uh, I guess basically when you talk about music, in my capabilities, I'm a um, let me. I'm a worker. I can do all of it just a little bit, but I'm not really a master of anything. As close as I get is the keyboard. But I'm telling you, I know we have a lot of people in this area, uh, in the area of Northwest Louisiana. Denny Duran. Most of you know who Denny Duran is. He's from Shreveport. He. He went to Louisiana Tech as a quarterback. Actually, he went as a wide receiver his freshman, sophomore year. He was a wide receiver, then moved to quarterback. And in his senior season, the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs won a national championship. And this wasn't a fluke. Let me tell you why. Let me give you some names of some guys that came off that team that went to the NFL. Roger Carr, All-Pro. Pat Tilley. All pro. Uh, Mike Barber, all pro tight end. Let's see, who am I leaving out? 
Denny Duran, of course, he went to the World Football League and ended up going to the Washington Redskins. I'm leaving some out. Who am I leaving out? I'm not sure. Oh, Billy, can't think of his last name, blonde-headed wide receiver, went to the Atlanta Falcons. And then Fred Dean, defensive tackle, who's in the NFL Hall of Fame. All these guys came off that little bitty team. But there's a bigger story behind it, and it was about the substance of the leadership, the player leadership on that team, led primarily by Denny Duron. Now, Denny Duron is a musical not a master, not a genius, but I guess as close as you could come to either one of those words without being there. Denny turned 70 years old next week. And he and his wife, Dionza, they have a, a, a really big family, seven children, 16 grandchildren. And they're all coming into town. Most of them are in South Florida in ministry there at a church that has just gone nuts in the last four or five years since it was founded. And all of them are going to be here Sunday evening at Shreveport Community Church at the corner of 70th Street and Buncombe Road at 6 p.m. Sunday evening. There's going to be a musical phenomena that has never happened before, and it may never happen again. I don't want to forecast that. But if you're in the proximity, you need to come because it's going to be from start to finish a production of every one of the songs that Denny Duran has written. Now, I can, I can brag a little bit here. The very first one he wrote was, was in the summer of 1970. And the group that we were traveling in that I was invited to join and moved to North Louisiana from Lafayette to participate that summer, the vessels, the vessels for five years traveled every summer holding services in churches around the U.S., music and evangelistic ministry. And by the way, Denny Duran's one of the greatest preachers, if not the greatest preacher I've ever heard, but that's not what we're talking about here. Many of you have heard of Songs of the Season. It is a Christmas phenomenon. It is literally a Broadway show with costumes and everything. It's all... In the early Americans is the back, the way everything looks up there. Some of the most amazing Christmas music you will ever hear. It's been recorded. It's been all over the United States. But the songs from that musical, Songs of the Season, will be featured. And who's going to be doing the music? Daz Duran, his son, a finalist on The Voice. Daz Duran, former Yale quarterback and number one football player, player of the year, the Nike player of the year in the, in the state of Louisiana. There are a lot of other good songs and a lot of good people that are going to be sharing there. I, I didn't even plan on even mentioning that. It costs nothing. It's just a service. It's going to be very casual, but the music is phenomenal, and I suggest that you try to get there. I, I don't think... And I tell you what I'll do. I'll try to get an answer before we go off the air, before 11, if it's going to be streaming online. Most of the stuff is, and if it's streaming online, I'll let you know and let you know how to get it. All of that has absolutely nothing to do (laughs) with anything political. But it's kind of nice to have something here to talk about that's not political. 
Well, speaking of not political, somebody who is really the, the thorn in the flesh of most real journalists in the United States is a guy named Brian Stelter. Now, you know Brian. He's, he has the longest, or let me, let me correct that. He had the longest running show on CNN. Hmm. What happened? Well, Sunday is the swan song for the show. Reliable Sources is the name. And it's going to be the swan song for Brian Stelter. Stelter is leaving CNN. Now, Stelter's version. He told the Daily Caller that it was a rare privilege to host a program offering insight into the media truth and the stories that shape our world. I'm grateful for my nine years with CNN, proud of what we accomplished on reliable sources, and so thankful for the viewers who tuned in every week for our examination of the media, truth and the stories that shape our world. It was a rare privilege to lead a weekly show focused on the press at a time when it has never been more consequential. And he told everybody he's going to have more to say on Sunday. Let me just tell you, When he talks about the viewers, all those viewers, there are some days this show, TNN Live, now again, it's not television, it's streaming online live and then it's turned to a podcast and people from all over the world are accessing it and downloading it and listening to the stuff that we do here. But some days we have more people listening to this show than Brian Stelter has on his show, Reliable Sources. Now, what does that tell you? And the reason I'm bringing this up, I'm I'm not a fan of Brian um, because he's a dishonest media spokesperson. I don't even want to call him a reporter. And I just, I don't like it when people lie about anything. In fact, my instruction as a young American from my dad was, if somebody lies to you, Don't believe anything they say. Mark them. Just dismiss anything they say. They can't be credible, so why believe anything they say? That's the way I am with Brian Stelter. CNN has lost 70% of its viewers, and why do you think that would happen? If Brian Stelter, if his show was so successful and the ratings were so big, ratings, just so you know, turn into dollars in media. More eyeballs, more ears. The content of what you're putting out there is going to be in more demand and it's going to bring in lots of money. And that's what these big cable networks are about. Getting people to watch so they uh, they can use these advertising agencies that do the the testing and the polling and turn that into dollars and cents. The more people that watch, the more they can charge for their advertisements. It's all about money. And if Stelter was being successful with content on his show, he wouldn't have been given the swan song and his show canceled. I I don't ever watch Brian Stelter's show just because I don't believe anything that he says for the reasons I told you my dad told me not to. But it's going to be his last show. He hates Donald Trump. He hates everything about Donald Trump. He hates conservatives. We'll see what his swan song is going to be this Sunday. 
And let me tell you what, I'm going to predict. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to believe that he is going to be looking for a job in the media somewhere else. So he's not going to come off really, really negative about conservatives and even Donald Trump in this show because he knows if he does that, he's showing the people that would have the ability in media outside of CNN to hire people. If he gets on a tear and goes anti-conservatism and anti-Donald Trump, he's going to wipe out about half of the potential opportunities for him to get a job. Because I, 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 I got to tell you, there are a few people that have successfully crossed the aisle in media where they may have been in one media outlet, a hardcore leftist in their reporting, and they get a job on a conservative news media outlet and they flip. What that tells me is they're, they're just being professional media hardcore sycophants and wherever they are who's writing their paycheck, that's who they're going to support. Not many people have been able to do that successfully. And I personally don't think Brian Stelter has a shot at doing it, but at least he'll probably be smart enough to not burn any bridges, which would mean CNN, but not burn any bridges with any other media outlet. I spent too much time on Brian Stelter, but a lot of people have uh, held him in disdain. And I wanted you to know that's coming off. I know that makes you feel better. (laughs) Have you kept up with some of the uh, pontificating in news media that's going on now? We have a lot of races in the midterms that are not federal races. Congress, every member of Congress is up for grabs, 435 seats every two years. But around the nation in gubernatorial races, One that stands out that everybody's watching is in Georgia where Brian Kemp is a Republican. He is the governor and he won the governorship in a very, very nasty election cycle against Stacey Abrams, African-American woman. She's a, a political activist in Georgia and she says a lot of things. I mean a lot of things. And I think one reason why the people of Georgia chose Brian Kemp over her is because she can't be trusted for the things she says. And she's kind of ramped it up a bit this week. On Thursday, Stacey Abrams on CNN's Out Front dismissed any effort by her opponent, Governor Brian Kemp, to separate himself from former President Donald Trump. Here's what she said. You can tell from his hard right policies from banning abortion to opposing marriage equality to the voter suppression laws that he signed after January 6th. Brian Kemp, up and down on the board, is a Trump conservative. There you go. You put a label on somebody, and those people out there that like you, they automatically go to war with that person. That's political pontificating. It has nothing to do with the truth. Let me give you an example in what she said. She blasted Brian Kemp for signing those voter suppression laws after January 6th when he was elected. That's a hollow allegation that is totally a lie. 
How do I know that? If they were voter suppression laws, it would be to stop certain elements of the Georgia population from being able to cast their vote. And she, of course, is African-American, so she's talking about black voter suppression. In the primary season here, in the primary season here, way more people in Georgia voted in the primaries there than have ever voted before. That wouldn't have happened if there was voter suppression. Abrams continued, Brian Kemp is a dangerous extremist who has tried to hide himself behind one good action and he has distracted the rest of us or certainly distracted most of America from looking at his actual record. He's trying to play both moderate and MAGA, but he is just extreme. He wants credit for standing up to Trump, but he is refusing to testify to tell the truth. And she wasn't done. She said, Brian Kemp has a long and unfortunate history of voter suppression, of not only supporting Donald Trump, but seeking his endorsement and seeking his support even today. He has not rebuked Trump. He has not rebuked his bad behavior. He's simply hoping that no one pays attention. And that is not heroic. That is self-interested. That is hubristic. And that is wrong for the future of Georgia. I guess Stacy doesn't stay in tune with the White House. Obviously, she would be one of the people that Joe Biden would have in that summit that we talked about earlier coming up in mid-September where they're going to do away with any kind of violence, political violence, violent extremism. They're going to do away with it. And she's sitting here spitting this out of her mouth. It's interesting to me that they, the left, think they can win by diminishing and demeaning and throwing barbs at half the population of the voter population in the nation. What did Stacey Abrams do with what she just said about Brian Kemp? She labeled him. Oh my gosh, we can't do that. That's racist. That's homophobe. That's Islamophobe. It's one of those, right? Well, she's black. Brian Kemp is white, so it's racist for her to say these things. Where's the outrage? There isn't any. Why? Because mainstream media agree with what she said. Brian Kemp is a dangerous extremist. Extremist. He's not only supporting Donald Trump, the orange man, but seeking his endorsement and seeking his support even today. I got to be honest with you. My personal opinion, if you're a conservative, you're a Republican in the upcoming races, of course, Donald Trump's not in a race. We don't have presidential elections in the midterms. The midterms are midterms. But two years after that, there is a presidential election. I think if I was in her shoes, I would have found a way to bridge the gap between her and Brian Kemp, between her and Republicans in Georgia, because there aren't enough Democrats in Georgia to give her a victory in the upcoming gubernatorial race she's in against Brian Kemp. 
Interesting. I'm not a politician. I just read things and do some investigation and I find out information sometimes. It just doesn't make sense for her to come out like this, but I mean, she's the one that talked Major League Baseball into moving the All-Star game this past year to Denver, taking tens of millions of dollars of potential revenue out of the hands of Georgians. Most of those are workers that own businesses, small businesses within the proximity of the stadium in Atlanta, northern Atlanta, where the Major League All-Star game was set to be uh, played. People around there, hotels, restaurants, all those people. Stacey Abram called Major League Baseball commissioner and I don't want to say talked him into it, but she used the R word with him and he was afraid, so he moved it to Colorado. Of course, the people there loved having it there. But all those people, minority people in Atlanta because of her politicization, they didn't get the revenue from the All-Star game that they would have. We haven't talked about COVID-19, big pharma vaccinations or anything. In fact, we've pretty much stayed away from it in part at least over the last few weeks because there hadn't been any big news coming about it. And what I'm about to tell you is big news, but it's not coming out in very loud measure. Moderna, Moderna, the big pharma company, Moderna documents regarding their COVID vaccine trials on animals. We're just now getting what I'm about to tell you. Here we are, two and a half years after COVID-19 swept across our nation. Moderna documents regarding their vaccine trial on animals. They didn't throw it out there for the American public to see. It had to be obtained through filing a Freedom of Information Act. And Judicial Watch did that. That data, that vaccine trial data that Judicial Watch got, showed that some of the offspring of rats that were used in this vaccine trial, these rats that were injected with Moderna's mRNA shot, developed rib malformations. Did you get that? injected with Moderna's mRNA shot, and they developed rib malformations. The 700 pages contain a portion of the formal biologics licensing application, a package that a manufacturer is required to submit to the FDA for their approval. Those documents haven't been made public yet, but were analyzed by pharma executive Alexandra Latpava, POVA, and reviewed by the Epoch Times, included in the documents, or test results. Why the heck wouldn't we get the the test results of these clinical trials that are taking place? Why didn't we do that? I can tell you why. Dr. Anthony Fauci was presented to the United States as being the consummate expert on infectious diseases, the number one of those only one in the world. And everything he said about COVID-19, I'm talking about 
the virus itself, treating the virus, medicine, vaccines, mask, social distancing, shutting down all of that. He was the COVID God. And of course, we weren't allowed. We weren't given any raw details. We should have, as the American people, we should have received this laboratory testing information. Why? Come on now. In lab rats, it causes rib malformation. Including in this documentation or test results that show that Moderna's mRNA shots cause statistically significant skeletal malformations in their offspring that took the mRNA-1273 spike vax mRNA doses. mRNA-1273-related variations in skeletal examination included statistically significant increases in the number of F1 rats with one or more wavy ribs and one or more rib nodules. Wavy ribs appeared in six fetuses, four liters, with a fetal prevalence of 4.03% and a litter prevalence of 18.2%. Rib nodules appeared in five of those six fetuses. F1 refers to the rat offspring and litter indicates a group birth of rats. Maternal toxicity in the form of clinical observations was observed for five days following the last dose, correlating with the most sensitive period for rib development in rats. And I'm looking at it right now. It's right there in the documentation. And Moderna, they didn't provide any of that. While we're talking about this, if you weren't here yesterday, I dropped a Fauci bomb on you from the very beginning of COVID-19. It is proven. It is factual. The drug remdesivir in its lab testing came up with similar horror stories that you just heard about the Moderna vaccine. And what's the big deal about remdesivir, the drug? There were two clinical trials, actually really not official clinical trials, that was presented to the FDA for them to give emergency access, emergency status, to remdesivir to be used for COVID cases. Nobody bothered to look into those two cases. If they had, they would have seen very prevalent to people in the testing of remdesivir. It was prevalent for people to have severe kidney failure. Kidney failure. Have you ever heard anything come out of Anthony Fauci's mouth about it? No, absolutely not. Now remember, these laboratory tests were done before the vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, was approved by the FDA to be used in COVID cases. Dr. Anthony Fauci's in the line of command on writing protocols for hospitals for treating patients. And when this comes from the CDC or the NAIAD, which is his subdivision of the National Institutes of Health, those are the people that have the power and the authority to force hospitals to use specific protocols in treatment. And if you don't do it, you're in danger of losing your Medicare status. In other words, 
If you treat any Medicare patients, you won't get paid for doing so if you go up against the protocols that you are supposed to abide by. So what does that mean? It means every hospital in the nation marched in lockstep with every other hospital in the nation to adopt and use the COVID protocols put out by Anthony Fauci. In the protocols that he put out, listen to this, there was only one medication that was part of his protocol demands to be used. One, remdesivir. In fact, the protocols told hospitals any patient that tests positive is to be immediately put on a regimen of remdesivir injections. That happened from the very beginning, and it initiated what we watched happen in horror in the New York area when all these patients were dying. They were going down like flies. But the hospitals up there were following the Fauci CDC protocol. So if they were doing the right thing, what was happening? They told everybody, we can't get enough ventilators to keep the oxygenation up for all these patients we're getting, and they're dying from pneumonia. Their lungs are filling with fluid, and they can't get it out of their bodies, and so they're dying from that. What was happening, remdesivir was destroying kidneys, which is the organ in our body that takes care of expelling excess liquids in there. And it was actually, from the bottom of lungs up, drowning these patients. Thousands of Americans died because of what Fauci said regarding remdesivir. And now we're finding out Moderna itself, who he has, a financial, a personal financial interest in. The only drug that was mandated to be used treating patients during the COVID-19 pandemic. One drug, Moderna. I think everybody understands my opinion of Dr. Anthony Fauci. It's been that way from the beginning. I don't trust him. I don't believe him. I think he's about helping one person and one person only, him. He has the Napoleon syndrome. He's a little bitty short guy. That means he tries to make up for his stature by making everybody think he's very special. He knows more than they do. And Americans died, not only Americans, people around the world died because of remdesivir and Anthony Fauci. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle 
There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. Yep, we're telling the truth that uh, many people don't want to hear. And I, I get that. I get that. I have seen circumstances when really bad things happen to people in their families, in their homes, in their bodies, and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to even think about it. It's just like if we can do that and just put it out there in a little place all by itself, we don't have to deal with the horrors that come out of that. I got to be honest with you. I understand that little part of human nature. And it's real. It's absolutely real. But I think it's very detrimental, and you need to avoid that. And facing it as soon as possible is going to make it at least go better because you'll at least be able to think it through, maybe get someone else's opinion that'll be different from yours that'll make you feel better, and just getting things off our chest. That's a really big, important part of being able to handle the stuff in our lives. During the break, I uh, was scanning this morning's news And I found some news about Brian Stelter exiting CNN. And I thought I'd bring this to you. I want to make sure you don't miss anything. When we we do stories, sometimes we get stuff about them, details about them from multiple sources. And sometimes we don't hear things in one place that we hear elsewhere. And we want to make sure we grab it all for you. Welcome back. Out. At CNN, media correspondent Brian Stelter to leave the network as it cancels his Sunday show, Reliable Sources. This is just the first major programming casualty under new network boss, Chris Licht. Joining me now, Joe Concha, the Hill columnist and Fox Business contributor. Joe, always great to see you. Can't wait to get your take on this. But so many people saying, listen, when Zucker was out, the party's over. The cronies got to go, too. That's precisely right. Uh, Brian Stelter served at the pleasure of the CNN president. He served as his personal hitman against a rival network, that rival network being Fox News or Fox Business. And and look, uh, Stelter sealed his own fate, Jackie, when he decided, and this was the hubris to to end all hubris, he decided to attack a very important person at Discovery. What's Discovery? Discovery is the company that took over CNN. Here's what Stelter had to say in February, quote, the people who say the Zucker era CNN was lacking in real journalism, clearly were not watching CNN directly. And I'm including John Malone in this. Mm. Who's John Malone? He's Discovery's largest shareholder. He just publicly went after basically somebody who's going to be very important in his new orbit. So once he did that, it was almost as if he was begging to be shown the door. And eventually here uh, on a quiet day in August, uh, he is now uh, out the door and probably has some options, however, Jackie, as far as where he can go next. Yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he writes a book. Um, You know, you make a really good point there. It's never a smart idea to attack the new management. Um, A CNN insider told Puck News this, Stelter emerged from the meeting looking ashen and refused to talk about the conversation with anyone. Um, You know, it's interesting because I'm sort of thinking of him him walking out and kind of sulking out of the meeting. You know, he took on some very, very um, hardline positions on CNN uh, when it came to Mm. their their viewpoint. And I saw him towards the end starting to try to turn it around, if you will, on the Hunter Biden laptop story. 
finally acknowledging right. that the laptop was real, finally acknowledging that this there was an issue here. And it seemed like, it, you know, it, maybe it was too little too late, but that he started to realize he better tow more of a center line. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I think a lot of people in this business that think they're untouchable, think they're indispensable to a network. And then you learn quickly that almost uh, no one is completely indispensable, particularly uh, when management can't trust you anymore, right? That you may be leaking out bad things about new management uh, to allies in the media. And, and the irony here, Jackie, is that as a media reporter, as a media analyst, you're supposed to call out media bias where it exists and, and where media activists exist. And instead, Brian Stelter did more to hurt the image of this industry than most other people you could think of. I mean, his program, his newsletter existed almost sol solely to serve as opposition research to this network. If you want to call, you know, again, uh, uh, you know, CNN and Fox rivals, considering that Fox News triples CNN at this point. So, uh, look, I, I would imagine he's off now, Jackie, to maybe MSNBC. Media Matters would be a tremendous fit for him. Uh, New, New York Times, where he used to work, mm -hmm. which he never criticized because he wanted to keep that door open just in case. Uh, because those partisan and condescending uh, institutions, they would be perfect fits for one Brian Stelter. Jackie. And the irony of the title of his show, Reliable Sources, um, it just makes me kind of chuckle there. But we also saw Jeffrey Tubin resign finally. And so I'm wondering um, if the new CEO is not, you know, behind the scenes basically saying we need to clean up our act here. We need to clean up the network. I'm putting my name on this. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've already seen far less of that breaking news uh, banner across our programming. The CEO said this, the tenor of our voice voice holistically has to reflect that, you know, and there have been so many who said, you know, Jeff Zucker took CNN off the rails. CNN was supposed to be more of a BBC style news network that gave you the mm -hmm. news and gave it straight up. But I mean, they did not do that under his tenure. Yeah, Jackie, I mean, CNN used to be the spare tire that whenever there's breaking news, particularly international yeah. news, uh, particularly from war fronts, uh, you went to that spare tire like like clockwork, like reflexively for both Gulf Wars. Uh, the Bernard Shaw days, great journalist, worked at, at CNN. It was one of the reasons, quite frankly, I got into this business because I was so inspired by the little guy doing as well as they did. And then once Zucker took over, it just became so cheesy, so condescending, where the anchors and the hosts made themselves the story so they could get the clicks and go viral, and they didn't realize what they were doing to their integrity at this point. But but the Jeffrey Tubin, uh, his ouster, it didn't surprise me that much. It probably he probably wants to get to know himself a little bit better as well. I, that, that's what I heard anyway. Maybe I mean I think it was a long time coming. Um, Joe, always great yeah. to see you. You're so fired up today. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Off for vacation, showing, I'm rested. Showing us. That's okay. a good one. All right. Thank yeah. you. Bye. His slam there of Jeffrey Tubin. I don't know if you remember this. I, I'll just I'll just repeat this and tell you what was going on. They were having a Zoom conference meeting, which they had probably 30 people on the conference call. Zoom means video. And Jeffrey Tubin, uh, in the middle of it, decided he was going to pleasure himself. And he did, with all of his compadres looking in. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a longtime friend that when he sees or thinks about something as gross as what Jeffrey Tubin was doing, Lee always says this, I got to slaughter a hog to get that picture out of my head. <laughs> and I don't know if you know anything, what happens when you slaughter a hog. It's gross. Those things bleed really quickly and it gets everywhere. It's really, really ugly. So anyway, thought I'd just share that with you. Why are we talking about media stuff? 
just to give you a sense of how skewed media is today and how wrong much of what we hear and see, how wrong it is. It's just not right. Now, Democrats have justified, they continue to justify that raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago hat, and they're calling it even-handed enforcement of the law. Even-handed enforcement of the law. But illegally allow many Southern economic migrants into America's worst workplace. Now, this is out of a Washington Post opinion piece. Henry Olson, a GOP-aligned moderate on the Washington Post roster of mostly pro-establishment opinion editor-writers, he said this, We've been hearing a lot about the rule of law lately. Biden's look-the-other-way immigration policy, in effect, an ingenious way to avoid that rule. That mocks the principle he piously says he supports. For example, Attorney General Merrick Garland, he justified the raid on Donald Trump's Florida home, and here's what he said on August 11th. This is from his speech. Upholding the rule of law means applying the law evenly, without fear, without favor. Under my watch. Where are the strings? Under my watch. That is precisely what the Justice Department is doing. Every American is entitled to the even-handed application of the law to due process of the law, and to the presumption of innocence. Uh, Come on, Merrick. In December, the Supreme Court is going to hear arguments that Biden and his deputies are willfully ignoring their obligation to detain job-seeking border crossers. The laws include 8 U.S.C. 1226, Sections 1, 1231A, Section 2, and 1231, Section A1A. Golly, it's hard to keep up with these things. And each of these says the Attorney General shall take into custody, shall detain, and shall remove migrants. He notes that mass migration is not being treated as a scandal by the establishment, despite the job impact on ordinary Americans, including those who oppose the labor migration. Here's what he said. This is bad for the country for a host of reasons. It's bad because it does a nation no good to disrespect its own borders. It's bad because as the country recovers from the pandemic, Allowing massive numbers of people to join the economy means legal residents will have to compete with them for jobs. And it's bad because it divides our country by flagrantly ignoring the sentiments of the half or so of voters who want illegal immigration to be controlled. So much for healing the nation. Now this is a guy that's on the Washington Post editorial board. Again, his last name is Olson. Olson in the piece argues that Biden's policies, they failed. The huge numbers of migrants crossing the border make it clear. Biden's immigration policy has failed. Not so, responded John Fear, a former top enforcement official in Donald Trump's border agency. 
Here's what he said. The Biden administration's immigration policy is to allow foreigners to break our laws in mass, and to that extent, the administration is succeeding in their goals. This mass of illegal immigration we're experiencing, it's not something the administration is trying to avoid. They created it. They encourage it, and they're continuing to welcome it. The Biden administration would feel that they were failing if ICE officers were still doing their jobs to the fullest extent possible. You do remember, on Merrick Garland's watch, ICE is not taking illegal immigrants and sending them back to where they came from. The Biden policy is viewed as a success. Hmm, who thinks it is? Those pro-migration advocates, even if voters pushed back by electing the GOP to the House and the Senate, said Fear, who works with the Center for Immigration Studies, better known as the CIS. He said, for them, losing an election in the short term is worth adding millions of illegal aliens. They don't care about any negative fallout. They aren't concerned about the public safety threat, the national security threat, or even the political threat in the short term. Nothing matters more than allowing mass illegal immigration by any means necessary to turn the United States into California. In contrast, he said, the GOP is failing from a political standpoint because they have no actual plans to oppose migration. If mass migration was an actual concern for the GOP, the GOP would have some sort of a plan to boost up the middle class. Now, i got to be honest with you. I take issue with this one thing. One of the things we're going to talk to Congressman Mike Johnson, who joins us, if you didn't hear this earlier in the show, he'll be with us live Monday morning at 9 a.m., sharp central time and his time is limited i'm going to try to get him to hang with us for 30 minutes at least because we have some things we want to go over this being one of the biggest in case you didn't know it wall street is built on what's called extraction migration the policy extracts human material uh migrants from poor countries and uses them as workers, as renters, and consumers for the express purpose of shifting vast wealth from ordinary people to billionaires and Wall Street. Now, how can you say that? Okay, since at least back to 1990, the D.C. establishment has extracted tens of millions of legal and illegal immigrants plus temporary visa workers. And they extract them from these poor countries and they bring them here to serve as workers, managers, consumers, renters for various U.S. investors and CEOs of these Wall Street companies. This policy of labor inflation, you've never thought about it this way, but this is what it is. It's inflation in labor. It makes it difficult for any ordinary American to advance in their careers. Some even can't get married. They can't raise families, and they certainly can't buy homes. Extraction migration slows innovation, 
shrinks Americans' productivity, partly because it allows employers to boost their stock prices by using cheap, stoop labor instead of productivity-boosting technology. The flood of cheap labor tilts the economy towards low-productivity jobs and has shoved at least 10 million American men out of the labor force. Let me give you an example of this. You remember we were having all of the supply chain issues and most of it was coming or not coming through the two ports in Los Angeles that were feeding stuff from overseas into the United States. And there was no infrastructure that was in place because of the lockdown, the government lockdown. There was no way to replace the, what's necessary to get this stuff off these these uh, ships and onto trucks and to trains to ship across the nation. They couldn't shift gears. Why couldn't they shift gears? Because of union issues. Now, here was the big deal. There had been installed in L.A. and in Long Beach, both ports, there had been the ability to robotically take these containers off these supply ships and put them on train cars, flatbed train cars, and put them on trucks to send them across the nation. But the union blocked it. They blocked it. Immigration migration slows innovation, shrinks our productivity, partly because it allows employers to boost stock prices using stoop labor instead of productivity-boosting technology. Migration undermines employees' workplace rights. It widens the regional wealth gaps between the Democrats' big coastal states and the Republicans' heartland and southern states. An economy built on extraction migration, which now ours is. It drains our political clout over elites, alienates young people because the jobs are not out there for them that they went to school for to learn how to do things, and radicalizes Americans' democratic civic culture because it allows those wealthy elites to ignore the despairing Americans at the bottom of society. This is a real economic policy. It really is. And you've been watching this, trying to put your finger on it. I'm telling you what it is. Extraction migration. This policy is backed by progressives who want to transform the U.S. from a, a society governed by European origin civic culture into a progressive-directed empire of competitive, resentful identity groups. No longer is our economy supposed to be based on goods and services and who can provide the best and the cheapest of all of those things. Representative Khanna from California told the New York Times in March, he said, we're trying to become the first multiracial, multi-ethnic superpower in the world. It will be an extraordinary achievement. We will ultimately triumph, he boasted. So let's just back up a little bit. What is this really about? These progressives' colonialism-like economic strategy, it kills a bunch of the migrants, the people they're trying to get here. It exploits the poverty of these migrants, 
splits foreign families as it extracts human resources from poor home countries to serve wealthy U.S. investors. It's a migration policy that minimizes shareholder pressure on U.S. companies to build up beneficial and complementary trade with people in poor countries. These progressive advocates hide this extraction migration economic policy behind a wide variety of noble-sounding explanations and theatrical border security programs. They claim the U.S. is a nation of immigrants, that migration is good for migrants, and that the state must renew itself by replacing our population, getting rid of the me's and you's, and putting migrants in our shoes. Establishment Republicans and major GOP donors hide the wealth shift towards investors. How do they do it? Amplifying conservative media coverage of border chaos, welfare spending, migrant crime, and drugs. What do we always tell you when somebody's making a lot of noise, waving their right hand around? Don't look at what's in the right hand. Don't listen to what they're raving about. What's in the left hand behind their backs? Many polls show the public wants to welcome some immigration. But they also show deep and broad public opposition to labor migration and the inflow of temporary contract workers into jobs sought by our own young U.S. graduates. These are the things that we like to bring to you because it makes you think and it makes you understand some things that you've been thinking about. Why, why, why? Why is this going on at the southern border? A majority of us Americans say that the president is allowing a southern border invasion. That's what it's become. The 54% invasion majority. It includes 76% of Republicans, 46% of independents, even 40% of Democrats. Just 19% of everybody that was polled, that's one in five, said that term is false. Invasion. Joel Rose, who is a pro-migration NPR, that's National Public Radio journalist, lamented the mainstream three-to-one public judgment revealed by this survey of 1,116 adults. Here's what he said. Republican leaders are increasingly framing the situation as an invasion. Immigrant advocates say the world, the word has a long history in white nationalist circles. They got to play the race card and everything. And warn that such extreme rhetoric could provoke more violence against immigrants. Wait a minute. Joe Biden's handling this uh, Stop the Violence Summit in mid-September. Think this is going to come up? Hmm. Still, the polling shows the word itself, invasion, is embraced by a wide range of Americans to describe what's happening here. We are not actually screening enough people to make it safe for the rest of the world, said one respondent, Michael Cisterno, a Republican from Nevada, in a follow-up interview. We, the people of the United States, really don't have control over who's coming and where they're going or what they're going to do when they get there, if they're criminals and if they're not criminals. 
Most migrants credit Biden for the inflow of these illegals. He promised the Haitian community he will help them, one migrant said in June, adding, he will recall Title 42. He will help us have real, real asylum in the United States. Wow. So what do we have going on in Congress? I got to be honest with you. Leaders in the House, Republican would be Mike McCarthy. Over in the Senate would be Mitch McConnell. McCarthy's pretty certain that he's going to have a majority in the House of Representatives after the midterm election in November. Not so much across the hallway into the U.S. Senate. Mitch McConnell weighed in on this yesterday. And uh, what do you think about Mitch McConnell? Do you think about him much in the talks about politics? I got to be honest with you. Remember when President Trump was elected? He had some very negative things to say about Mitch McConnell. And it has to do not so much about how Mitch looks, how he talks, but keeping promises that he makes. Mitch is looking at the landscape with the open Senate seats in November. It's not looking good for Republicans to take control of the Senate. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified. That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day. Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. spot to play that Kiehl's Bakery commercial. Why is that? I gotta be honest with you. I like baked stuff. I love bread. My wife, Mary Ann, she makes from scratch the best homemade bread I've ever had. Now that says a lot because I come from a bakery family. My stepfather, Papa Joe Huval, started Evangeline Made Bread that still exists across Acadiana, which is the real French part of South Louisiana. Evangeline made bread. I remember going over to the bakery downtown Lafayette, Louisiana, late nights on Friday night after football games or going with a bunch of friends to watch movies and going into the bakery and back in the back, they make the most amazing French bread loaves. And they kept a can of chocolate lard icing in the back for me. 
That sounds a little gross, doesn't it? But you know what lard icing is. That's the one that we don't worry about the calories. It's full of butter. It tastes amazing. And there is very little, if anything, that tastes better than getting one of these hot loaves of French bread right when it comes down the conveyor belt and very carefully slicing it open with a knife and spreading lard chocolate icing on it. Oh my gosh. That's the only time in my life, even since, that I have just got a bunch of chocolate icing and put it on a piece of bread. But I can tell you, very little tastes better than that. Marianne also makes, from scratch, cinnamon rolls. And I had one this morning as I was getting ready for the show. She brought it over to me, and let me tell you, it was amazing. I just like baked items. Not everything. I mean, I'm not a hog. I don't eat anything. Well, you might look at me and say otherwise. <laughs> I am. I uh, My weight fluctuates through my lifetime, and I got to be honest with you, uh, I've had back issues. I've had several surgeries in the last year, and I'm doing fine, but it kept me off my bike. I ride a recumbent trike. Now, what's the difference between a recumbent trike and a regular bicycle? The trike, recumbent trike, has two wheels out front, and you sit in almost like an easy chair and lean back, and you pedal. The pedal where you where you pedal are in front of you, and there's one big bicycle wheel tire behind you. And a lot of people say, oh, that's an old man's deal. Let me tell you what it is. You can't go any faster on an upright bike than you can on this thing. It just depends on how hard and how fast you want to pedal. But what it does, it takes all the pressure of, it takes it off. People that ride upright bicycles, they have problems with their necks. They have problems with their back. All that is gone on a recumbent trike. So through the years, I'll do cyclical stuff where I'll, I'll do a lot of bicycle riding and I lose a lot of weight. In fact, a couple of years ago, people actually thought I was ill because I lost so much weight, but I didn't stop eating. I didn't do anything different. I was just riding my bike. I'd ride that recumbent trike every day, and my deal was I'd do it mostly at night, and we lived in a place where it was very conducive and safe to be riding at night. Sometimes if I woke up at nighttime at 2 in the morning, I'd go get on my trike and ride in the track that I was on, it went around a big hospital medical uh, area of the city. And at nighttime, there was very little traffic. And also, this is Louisiana, it was, it was cooler than it was during the day. Nevertheless, I brought that up in the context of that bakery commercial. And now you know a lot more or a little more about me than you thought you did before. We were talking about Mitch McConnell. He's pretty concerned about Republicans' ability to take back the Senate during the November midterms. He said, I think there's probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidates' quality has a lot to do with the outcome, he told reporters. Although redistricting is expected to net Republican five seats necessary to take back the House, Elections and analysts have downgraded the GOP's chance at retaking the Senate amid a series of weak polls and anemic fundraising numbers. 
I don't want to go away without going out to the Northwest and telling you about what's going on there. San Francisco, Cleveland, Portland have the most deserted downtowns in the U.S., soaring crime rates in the Democrat cities, scare away workers and tourists. In a recent study by the Institute of Governmental Studies, San Francisco's downtown area was found to be only 31% active over the spring of this year when it was compared to pre-pandemic levels. Cleveland at 36%, Portland at 41%. Meanwhile, cities like Salt Lake, Bakersfield, California, and Columbus, Ohio are enjoying the fastest comeback, seeing their downtown activity go up by more than 110%. That's a wrap on the show today, folks. Don't forget, Congressman Mike Johnson with us, 9 a.m. Central Time, sharp, Monday morning on TNN Live. Make sure you get here early. And also, Saturday Bullet Points, the most read story every week at truthnewsnet.org. Have a great weekend. Really, I mean that sincerely. Have a great weekend. Find some things to do with your kids, to do with your spouse, and enjoy it all. In the name of just being Americans, doing what you want, having a good time. I've been grinding so long, been trying this shit for years. And I got nothing to show, just climbing this rope right here. And if there's a man upstairs, he kept bringing me rain. But I've been sending up prayers and something's changed. I think I finally found. Now. Nah.